This is the day the Lord has made. We can rejoice and we can be glad in it. Amen. And I'm so happy that you've chosen to be here at Bethany Wesleyan Church. And I'm glad to be here myself. It's such a privilege to be able to worship God together uh, with you. You know, uh, we've been in a message series, Free to Fly. And what we've been doing is looking at uh, people that have walked with Christ a long time and kind of seeing some of the real markers that mark their life that are consistent across the board with a lot of people. And today is no exception to that. With your Bible open to Hebrews chapter 12, I want to look at a, at a fresh passage that God has been speaking to me about and that He is talking to us about right now in this message series. Because the, the goal of the Lord is not really to make us comfortable all the time, though in our Western world of thinking, we think that's His, his priority. His goal actually is to make us, listen to this, to make us holy and to make us very useful for His honor and glory. That's what He wants to do in our lives. It's not always going to be comfortable when we follow after Christ. As a matter of fact, we're going to have all kinds of conflicting events around us, some that are going to happen within us, and we're going to have to figure out how we're going to deal with those conflicts without and within. And what I've noticed is the people that walk with Christ and truly grow in Him and truly increase in their faith in Him, they continue to develop and evolve in these areas until you know that no matter what they're going through, they're going to continue to be consistent in their faith with Christ. Loved ones will die. They may get burned by relatives. They may have kids walk away. They may have all kinds of things happen like job loss. They may have health loss. But they maintain the goods. They stick with the stuff. They stay committed to Jesus Christ. And that is exactly what we want to do in our walk and in our faith with Christ. And so this message today is not for the faint of heart, but it is one that I believe will help and encourage. And I'm seeking my best to make a very challenging passage quite understandable, and I believe God will help us to be able to do that. Let me start with an illustration that kind of helps us understand where we're going. Corey Ten Boom is a lady that I refer to quite a bit. She lived during World War II. Her father owned a clock shop. She and her sister Betsy worked in that clock shop. And recently in theaters there was a movie called The Hiding Place that was a remake of their story. Perhaps you went to see that. So while they were in that clock shop they began to build some false walls in their house and they hid Jews. They helped hundreds and hundreds of Jews on the Underground Railroad, if you will, of their area. Because the Jews were being sought out, persecuted, put in concentration camps, and then they were taken to be destroyed. And so they didn't believe that. They followed Christ and they felt like that was evil and that was wrong. And they wanted something better, so they did all they could to help. Now when they were taken, finally, her father died in a concentration camp. Her sister Betsy and her were in the same concentration camp. They were finally moved to a place called Ravensbrook. It still exists, still a place you can tour it. Some of you maybe have been there. We've all perhaps seen pictures of it. And if you've seen The Hiding Place, it is fascinating and very alarming to see the story that really happened. Well, while they were in Ravensbrook, Betsy got very sick. She was kind of a sickly, frail person anyway. But she got sick. And she went to the nurse. They had a nurse there, but the nurse didn't have time to help her. She was gruff and, and really just rebuffed and just didn't want to help and wasn't kind. 
in time Betsy died in that concentration camp. Corey miraculously was one of only about three people to get released from Ravensbrook. She was able by God's mercy to tell the story. And she went around for decades after telling the story. One day she's at a church ten years after Ravensbrook has ended and she is released and she is back to better health herself. She is at this church and she's delivering a message. And there was a lady introduced to her as a nurse. Corey didn't recognize her. She didn't remember her. She had no recollection. And then finally it came to her. Oh my stars. This is the lady from Ravensbrook. Immediately racing through her veins were these feelings and emotions of how vile that lady had been toward her sister and would her sister have lived if this lady had been more kind and all of those things that would go through a person's thoughts were racing through her veins. She's thinking about this. What in the world? And then she realized she had a decision to make right then. The lady was standing right in front of her. What would she do? How would she respond? She ended up sticking out her hand and shaking hands and saying, I remember you. I remember you from Ravensbrook. She did a very unusual thing following that service. She took note of this lady and her name. She took note of where she lived. Not to get revenge, but because God began to work on her heart even after that service and following that. And as God worked on her heart and on her thoughts and on her mind, she began to understand that God wanted her to reach out with forgiveness to this lady. And so she set an appointment of invitation to the lady and said to this nurse, would you come to meet with me? I would like to have a meal together with you. She sits down across the table from this lady, and while she's sitting there, she says to the lady, I am a Christian, a follower of Christ. And I want you to know that the Bible says, I am to forgive people like you that have been very unkind to me. And she says, as God is dealing with me with the idea of forgiveness, I want you to know that I am choosing to forgive you. The nurse sitting across the table didn't know what to expect that day. She was shocked, first of all, that she got the invitation. But as she sat there, she looked at Corey and said, I never had any idea that something like this would happen. As they continued in their conversation, the nurse said, I want what you have because I don't have what you have. How do I get it? And Corey led that lady to the Lord at that table, at that lunch, on that day. That is my sermon in an illustration. Now let's unpack the scripture just for a little bit. When we do that, we see three exhortations that tell us how to fly higher as we follow Christ. Look at verse 14 of Hebrews chapter 12. Log on, follow along, see what it says here. 
It says, try to live at peace with everyone. If you boil that down, you could put two words behind that. The two words are pursue peace. This is hard to do. Nudge your neighbor if you would and say, Kevin just said a very difficult thing. And when you say that to them, you're telling the truth to them. Not only are you waking them up, but you're telling the truth. It is very difficult whenever we have persecution of some kind that happens, an injustice at our job, a loved one walks out of our life, the list goes on of the things that happen, and we get frustrated, we become overwhelmed. Or when our health fades. Have you had your health fade? You get a little bit sick, or maybe you have a continued sickness of some kind, and there you are dealing with that thing, combating with that thing, troubled by that thing, and you just don't wear sick very well. And when you don't wear it well, you're impatient, you're irritable, and you get after people quicker. You, 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 you've had those times happen. Or what about if you battle with a chemical imbalance in your body? You have to watch out because you're really high and really happy, and you're really low and really sad, and you're dealing with all of those things. Or what about when you've worked really hard for an extended period of time, and your nerves are frayed, your nerves are tired. Have you ever been there? I've been there. And you have to tap yourself on the shoulder, don't you? And you have to say, self, self, I want to remind you, you don't make any big decisions, and keep your harshest words to yourself. Oh, that's hard to do. Still remember the minister at our wedding saying, Kevin, keep your harshest word to yourself. Wonder why he said that. He was a smart man, PhD and everything. We vent our frustration and our venom at the people we love the most because we don't think they'll reject us. And we make them our punching bag. That's not so fair, is it? Nobody in this service, but you should see second service. <laughs> now the exhortation is to pursue peace with everyone the scripture would tell us it's not always possible to have peace with everyone I illustrated that last weekend in the message when he gave the story of Clyde when he put the bridge down on his side but the other guy wouldn't, wouldn't put the bridge of forgiveness and reconciliation down from his side they never were able to reconcile because you know it's a two sided thing isn't it two sides to that you can't just make somebody do something That'd be artificial. So look at what it says. The New Living Translation, I love how it puts this because I think it's very easy to understand. It says, work at living in peace with everyone. Now, everyone means everyone. Let's say it together. Everyone. everyone. That means everyone. Person sitting by you, people that you work with, people that you do, you know, whatever you do with. Avoid regrettable things, avoid regrettable decisions, avoid stupid things. Do your part, work at it. Dr. David Siemens was a great minister, great writer, had some problems in life, many people do. I still read from some of his writings, I still respect what God said through him, and I thank God for his transparency of some of his weakness at the end of his life. With that said, I want to share a story that I read some years ago that helped me a whole lot. It helped me with the understanding and the idea of the business that this particular passage right here is talking about. He said he had met with a pastor's wife, and when he met with her, while meeting with her, she shared how vindictive her husband was toward her, how harsh he was and how badly he was treating her. 
This lady was attractive. This lady was smart. This lady took care of herself. She was clean. She was neat. She was very loyal. And this young couple was having all kinds of problems. The husband would continually criticize everything that happened, everything she did, and was scapegoating her. Have you ever had somebody do that to you? That wouldn't be fun. Have you ever done that to somebody? That wouldn't be good. Everything she did was wrong. He was sarcastic, demeaning, withdrew from her advances when she sought to have love and affection with him. Slowly it dawned on him, I am ruining my relationship with my wife. He finally went to the counselor, in this case Dr. Seaman, and as he went to him, in desperation he sat down as they began to deal with the stuff in the young minister's life. He met his problems like a real man, and he blamed it all on his wife. (laughs) Have you ever blamed your problem on somebody else? But when he became honest, the painful root of the matter came to light. So when the root of the matter came to light, the young minister finally admitted some years ago he had spent several months in a foreign land. He was given a two-week hiatus while in the other land, and he had done some immoral stuff. He was embarrassed about it. He couldn't stand to look himself in the mirror. He didn't see how his wife could even love him, but his wife didn't know about it. So he kept it under wraps, and while he kept it under wraps, he couldn't live with himself because he was so miserable, and he made everybody else miserable, and he made his congregation miserable. Finally, as he went ahead and began to confess all of this situation out to the counselor and eventually confessed it over to God, he began to now set himself Listen to this, free to fly. And as he confessed this out, the counselor said, I was absolutely amazed to watch how he confessed it out to his wife and she chose to forgive him. And he confessed it out to whoever he needed to beyond that and they forgave him. And he looked in the mirror finally and confessed it out before himself and before God. And though he thought God had heard him a thousand times in prayer before, he now knew God heard him and he forgave him. And this minister was now able to live in freedom and able to go about the calling that God had placed on his life because he was living free to fly. Oh, it's quiet in here. It's wholly quiet in here. There's a second thing this passage says. I said the message is not for the faint of the heart, and I've been living with it, and it's been beating me up. So I'm glad to get rid of it. (laughs) I'm passing. Here's the second thing it says here. Seek to live a clean and holy life. Verse 14, look at it. If we boil that down to a couple of words, I think we could say pursue holiness. Uh, There's another word interchangeable with holiness in this setting, and in this context it would be a word that we would call sanctification. Sanctification means set apart for a holy purpose in this case. Your glasses are sanctified to your face, your shoes are sanctified to your feet, etc., etc. Things are sanctified to us that we have. So we'll use that word sanctification here. Now, there are several levels or ways to look at sanctification. It's a holy word. It's talking about growing more toward God. There's what we call, first of all, positional sanctification. Positional sanctification happens when we trust Christ as our Savior. As a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 
verse 11 articulates this perhaps as well as any other passage. Look at what it says. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Our righteousness then is not our own, but our righteousness is Christ within us. And He is sanctifying us in that moment. Now we're on His team. Then, not just positional sanctification, but practical sanctification. Practical sanctification is talking about our day-to-day walk. Practical sanctification is, is what it says in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. I pray God, Paul says, that your whole spirit, your whole soul, and your whole body, all of you, would be preserved blameless to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes on in the next verse, faithful is he who calls you who also will do this. That is, God's faithfulness to us will help guide us day by day to the holiness he wants us to experience, the sanctification that he has in mind for us. Isn't that beautiful? That's progressive, though it happened initially at positional sanctification. Then there is complete sanctification. That happens when we go to heaven. Philippians, if you go there just for a moment, chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, 21. It goes like this. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. The beautiful transformation into a body that is spotless and blameless traveling at the speed of thought. Another message, another day. Complete sanctification does not happen in this life, in this sense. This sense happens when we die, and we're completely made perfect in His eyes. And that is looking something to look forward to. So what's He calling us to now? Well, positional sanctification, of course, salvation in Christ, but He's calling us to practical sanctification. What's a practical sanctification? I just said it. It's living it out every day in our life. In other words, the business dealings that we're doing with somebody, we're doing them with idea of holiness in our mind, in our business. The conversations we're having with somebody, he hasn't lost track of what he was talking about. He says, I want you to live that out in practical sanctification. So, <clears throat> this week when I got just a little irritated because I've been battling a cold for three weeks or whatever, I got a little irritated and in my interaction with Pam, I was a little snarky. Now, you have never been there, St. Pius. You don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yes, you do Oh, yes, you do. Mm. You know you do. And so I had to say to her, I am sorry you did not deserve me talking like that. I will try not to do that. I feel like crud. I owned it. Probably excused it a little bit, but I owned it. Owned it. You know what? That's what we all need to do. Working it out. Okay, he gives us a third thought. You've been listening very well. You're either asleep or quiet. I can't tell, but I think it's a holy quiet. I'm going with that. Verses 15 and 16 here. Allow no root of bitterness, O good grief. It's fun to nurture and nourish grudges. It's kind of fun to cuddle the bitterness we have. Look what it says here. Let no root of bitterness or unbelief grow among you, verse 15 and 16. So if we boil that down to a couple of words, I think we would say it this way, pursue grace. And here's another couple of words that pair with that. 
Avoid apostasy. Apostasy is when you fall away from something. So apostasy would mean you're falling away from the grace. In other words, you're putting distance between yourself and Christ because you don't really want to be holy. You don't really want to live like you want you to live. So look at verse 15 of our passage here. Do not miss the grace of God. Have you been around people who go to church all the time? And they like being around church. They like the church people. They love the activity. It's a safe place. It's a wholesome place. And they like hanging around the church, but they have missed the grace of God. They've never received Christ as their Savior. I've been absolutely shocked and amazed at the number of people in their 70s and 80s who have attended church all their life and have never received Jesus Christ as their Savior. It's been absolutely amazing to me. They've hung around church, but they have never opened their life to Jesus. And they will say to us, we have never opened our life to Christ, but I need to do that because I'm getting kind of old and I want some fire insurance. You'll get that this afternoon, but I say, well, yeah, it'd be a good time to get that. They look like it, they act like it, but they've never trusted it. You see, outside of Christ, I heard somebody say this week, there are many ways to get to God. No, there's not. There's one God and one mediator between God and man, and that is a man, Christ Jesus. That's what the Bible says. And what Kev, that's what the Bible says. So you may come to Christ at a church or at a crusade or at a camp or driving down the road. I heard one guy got saved in the shower. I, I don't care where you get saved. Wherever you trust Christ is your business. That's beautiful. It's his business because he calls out to it. But you can't avoid this grace. And that's what he's talking about here. Don't avoid this grace because there's no other way to get to faith. And then it says in verse 15, do not allow the root of bitterness to grow. How we handle these things that happen to us, back to my opening illustration about Corey Tin Boom, how we handle them is going to determine a lot of the outcome of who we become. Because we have familial pa uh, patterns of dealing with life, we have learned behaviors and structures and systems within us that sometimes when we come to faith in Christ, they don't just get washed out. They must be dealt with, and sometimes in a counselor's office, and we should not be too proud to go there. And they sometimes get dealt with with medication at a clinic. And we should not be too proud to go there. Because God has us right now in a broken body, in broken family systems. And sometimes our learned behavior, though we don't want to diss mom and dad or grandma and grandpa, is not right. It's toxic. Can I get a witness somewhere in the house today? I know I'm teaching truth because I've lived too long not to know that. But it's there, it's, it's a root of bitterness. So when those things happen to you, it's easy to turn away from Christ and get mad at him because we want to get mad at somebody. So we get mad at him, and that's what he's talking about, a root of bitterness here in his passage. And that, that anger that we exhibit toward Christ, he should have come through this way. It's those unwritten contracts we have with God. It's that preset contract we have signed with Christ to say, well, you should have come through this way. You should do this for me. I expected this when I came to you. I got this bargain. I'll tell you, I expected my kids to all walk with God when I came to Christ. And I realized, wait a minute, they get to make their own choice. And I realized, well, God... I didn't expect some of this stuff to happen. And you know better than that, God. Anybody tracking with me? Feels kind of lonely up here. But I don't think I'm as alone as I feel. I'm being very transparent with you. I didn't sign up for this. You ever said that? I have. God, I didn't sign up for this. This stinks. Why did we have to go through that? Why did that have to happen to our family? Our family, look at the decisions I made growing up. Now you're going to let me uh, reap this? Aggravating stuff. 
root of bitterness will come to grow in us through many unique places and ways, and the avenue with which it will come will very likely happen among church people. heard of a pastor, he lived in California, and I was reading about this message and reading on this subject here, I was thinking about it, and I do a lot of studying, we got a lot of books and stuff, and, and I do online stuff too, but anyway, he said he had, a, he had this, this uh, vine that kept growing up by his bedroom window, just kept growing up, he'd go out and cut it down, and keep growing up, go out, cut it down, keep growing, he did that a number of times, and finally realized, I have to dig it out. He started digging, he went down one foot, he went down two feet, he went down three feet, He's still in at the bottom of this stinking root. He knows if he stops now, it's coming back. He realized, I've got to go on now. He went down the fourth foot. Four feet deep, he got to the bottom. He put salt in that hole. He covered that hole back up after he pulled that root out. He said, I never had problem with that vine at my window again. I'm talking from the Bible passage here, but I'm also talking from life experiences This has been a battleground of my soul. I came from the you won't burn me twice family. You burn me once, you will not burn me twice. And then to realize sometimes you become the punching bag. And in humility, like a little child, you go before the Lord and you lay down and you realize you're nothing more than just a little, little crumpled bag in front of the Lord, just a little pile of sack of nothingness. And you humble down and you say, God, have your way in my life. Because here's something I've learned and realized through life. I want you to hear what I'm getting ready to say to you. Forgiveness is when you have a scar, but you do not have the festering wound. When you're no longer nurturing the wound, but living with the scar, in my opinion, you know you have forgiven. Scars tell a story. Wounds still have to be tended to. We tend to bleed on people that didn't even cut us if we're not careful because we're hurting so bad. But God wants to help us. Tears are a language God understands. He bottles up our tears, the scripture says. Well, it also says in verse 16 and 17, in this do not list, do not miss grace, do not let the root of bitterness grow, it says, do not become linked to immorality. And it it likens Esau here. We never read of Esau being uh, sexually immoral, specifically, but he was immoral in the sense that he rejected God. And that's what it's talking about here. He dishonored the honorable things God had set in motion. He dishonored them. And I found this out about people who have walked with God a long time. Christ honoring, Christ-centered people learn a way to be patient with themselves and to walk through these situations. It takes time, it will hurt, but you can do it. Sometimes I watch Joyce Meyer She's a preacher, lives out in St. Louis, out in the Midwest. She and her husband David had a lot of brokenness in their life. Joyce tells a story and told one recently about how her father abused her sexually as she was a young child and then 
even into her teenage years. As soon as she was old enough to leave the family, she did. She got out of there. She wanted no more. She would only go back home to visit on obligatory time like Christmas or just something she felt like, I have to go back. It would only be those times. She really disassociated herself as best she could with her family back home. She did not really even like her dad. She didn't really care for her mother because she had told her mother this was happening and her mother didn't know what to do, so she did nothing. Horrible situation. Finally, in her adult years, she's living three hours away from her mother and father. And while living three hours away, God began to speak to her in her mid-years. Her parents were getting older, and, and she said, the Lord began to speak to me about them and said this, I want you to buy a house and move them close to where you live. She's like, get behind me, Satan. That cannot be God. <laughs> Ain't no way that's God. But it continued, and she knew it was God. And as she continued to know that God was speaking to her about this, she said, we didn't have a lot of money. How could we make this happen? She said, but what we decided to do was follow what we knew God was saying. And so what we did, we bought a house, moved my parents in there. They never said thank you. I would buy groceries and take them to doctor appointments. I would pay their bills for them, she said. I would do everything I had to do. But she said, I not one time wanted to go visit them. Not one time cared about going to their house. Not one time liked doing what I was doing. Almost to the point of resenting it. And she said, one day my mom called and said, your dad wants to talk to you and he needs to talk to you right away. He's been crying and I can't get him to stop crying. Joyce walks in the house and says, what's wrong? Her dad says, I want to apologize for the way I treated you. I was wrong. I did it. I was bad. I want you to forgive me. She forgave him as best she could. What would you have done? She said, at no point going forward did I ever look forward to going over to my dad or mom's house. I didn't like going over to see them. I paid their bills, got them groceries, made sure they made their doctor's appointments, moved them to assisted living, and finally to the nursing home till the day they died. But she said, the reality of God's grace, don't miss his grace, the reality of God's grace is this. My father opened his heart and received Christ because I led him to Christ. There at his house. And today he's in heaven because he trusted the grace of God and he is cheering me on. I told you this message was not for the faint of heart. <laughs> Flying free is not always easy because you have to, like a butterfly, exit the cocoon, right? You have to, like the egg of the bird, you have to break free from the shell. But you can, and we all can, and I know we can because it's what we all must do. God will never ask us to do something we're not supposed to do. So in summary, bring up those last slides, please. Here's what we're supposed to do. Number one, let's read it together. Live at peace with others. Read it out loud, please. Live at peace with others. Now, this one. 
Live clean and holy life. The next one. Guard against the root of bitterness and unbelief. Lord, I don't even know how you're going to use this message. I don't know what you're going to say to my heart through this next week because of this. But you know I have never preached this passage before. But here today I have preached it. Bless you. And Lord, I pray and give thanks for your word, a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. If I have said anything that would take away from your work in someone's life and what you're about, I pray you would remove it and totally blind them to that and turn their ears off to that. But to things that are to be heard and to things that are to be received, I pray that you would bring them into the right amplification of your own spirit that you will not only show the stuff, but show the way to receive the grace, to receive the forgiveness, to move from the festering wounds to the healed scars, that we might move on to be the people you want us to be, that though we are battle-tested, we can prove the grace of God will help a person withstand anything they experience in this life. I pray for the Palmerton campus everyone sitting in that room right now. I pray for the Lehighton campus, everyone sitting in that room, no matter the service right now, first or second. I pray, Lord, for the people right now watching us online, in the rooms where they're watching, in the places where they're listening, in this place, in the parking lot, in the lobby, Lord, people are today listening to you. We're tuned in to you, Holy Spirit. Teach us the way of Christ, our Savior. In Jesus' name we pray and give you thanks. And for every child going to school this week, would you be with them? Would you protect them? Would you bless them? Would you give them teachers that care? And would you give them a receptivity to study and to learn and to be able to grasp things that they might not even think they could get? And would you help them to make the right friends? to be able to move through this school year with abundant blessing, knowing that they are loved by you, cared for by you. They are your child. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.